Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander, and I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And we've had a week off to rest and recharge our batteries. As the MLS season is about to really get into full flow, we've got a draft coming up in a in a few days' time, guys. I don't know Close if you remember about that. Oh. Close the window. Don't let the draft in. It's going to be horrible. We very rarely let the draft in, to be fair. So I think we're going to be okay there. But we're we're going to talk MLS in this episode, and I mean a lot to cover. There's the the fight that is brewing between MLS and the league and the players' union and the players. We're going to cover all the big news from Montreal, who've done a rebrand. We're going to cover all the big news from Toronto, who have a new head coach. And we're not going to cover all the big news from Vancouver, because I couldn't really care less that somebody's really good at at playing video games. That's basically been the Whitecaps news just now. It's it's sad when... (laughs) When your most significant achievement in a long time is a dude playing video games for you. He's number two to the Voyager's Cup in 2016. Well, I think a lot of people would say the Whitecaps are number two in a lot of categories. Oh, in with an early zinger. Yeah, there, there's been a lot to talk about, but it has been fairly quiet in Whitecaps land. There's a couple of, of rumours floating about the Saicedo deal could be close to to get him done. I'd personally prefer us to, to sign De- Denise Salcido. Uh, I'm sure Steve would be, be happy if we brought her on board. Maybe get her on the show. But we're going to kick things off in the first two parts, looking at the battle that is brewing between the league and the players. Because on Tuesday, Don Garber held uh, an impromptu conference call, so impromptu that the players' union didn't even know it was happening until the word went out that it was happening and they had to respond themselves with their own impromptu conference call on Wednesday, which we're, we're going to bring you some audio from in this part. Were but you the, part of the select few invited to the Donny G one? I was not. It was only your mainstream media guy. So JG Adams from the province was invited. It seemed to be the, the basically the newspaper guys. Uh, he from, didn't like the, the markets. He didn't like the lump of coal you left in his stocking? No, or, or the pile of dog shit that I left on his doorstep either. 
I don't know how I got down to the States to do that, but it's the magic of Christmas. Santa may have helped me out in, in that capacity. He was able to cross the border. Yeah, I wasn't one of the select few that was on the call. And it would be easy to say that they went down the route of having people on the call that maybe weren't going to give them uh, as hard a time. The MLSPA call the following day, though, was welcoming to everybody that wanted to go on the call. All kind of media, bloggers, podcasters, mainstream media. If you wanted to be on it, hear what the union had to say. The union were happy to to help you out in that capacity. So that was that was good to see. So I was on on that call. Before we get to some audio from their head honcho, Bob Foos, just to cover some of the stuff that, that Garber said in, in his call on Tuesday. In short, reiterating again, the league is losing money. They lost about a billion dollars last year. They've had to invoke force majeure. They really didn't want to, but they, they, they had had to do it. They have made an offer to the union and they've given the union 30 days to respond. Now, some of the interesting stuff then that came out the following day from the union was, by law, they don't have 30 days to respond. There is no actual timescale on when they have to respond. Uh, as Bob Foose said, Don Garber's not a lawyer, so he may have misspoken, or he may, he may have deliberately been trying to put false information out into the media, is how uh, the that, union's looking at it. That is really, really poor, because... My understanding is that uh, now I haven't listened to the conference call or whatever, uh, but I've heard from some of those who have, and it sounded like Garber was trying to like make it like a hard deadline, yep, kind of like make it sound like you know a lockout kind of situation. Of course, he, I think he was asked about that and kind of you know didn't use that language or kind of you know wasn't explicit in, in how he talked about that. But it is really really poor form if that is if he chose that press conference. Uh, as the way to inform the players that there was there is a 30-day deadline on top of that you know their offer didn't come until later after yeah, the force majeure. 10 10 days after the force majeure is when the actual offer got to to the union so there's a lot that's dodgy about this yeah i mean it is steve and like bob foos said a couple of times that there's a few things that that he felt Garber had put out into the media deliberately trying to direct the narrative the way that the, the league wanted, and it's not necessarily based in reality, which was the phrase that he used. Yeah, and it's so rare for leaders in America to put in false information out I mean, there. The, yeah, I mean, the they're public, so, so trustworthy usually. Yeah, um, but you have to expect this. This is part of the uh, bargaining that people do all the time. Uh, there's always shady dealings going on. You can look at any league across in North America and see this happen. Um, well, yeah, so but, but to, to use the media is something that both sides will obviously do in this, and I think it is to be expected. Now, but typically, but typically it's done like under the under the table. They, they basically do it behind closed doors, not not out in public like he did. Um, so he's yeah. trying to he's trying to garner public uh, attention to this instead of like do a slow, he wanted to go right off the bat and get this information out there, whether it's false or, or, or true. I think it really backfired on them as well. And we'll, we'll come to a number of the things that were discussed. The Garber is hoping still for a regular season, a full season starting mid to late March that will not be regional but will involve teams playing their normal schedule. So you could have the Whitecaps, 
flying to DC, flying to Philly, flying to New York, cross country during a pandemic. Absolute insanity. And yes, I know nothing's been agreed. But for even considering that at this time, it's crazy stuff. It's it's crazy that they're saying not regional, but I also heard that his response to the, the question about the Canadian teams was like he feels bad for them what happened last year. And I heard some people even talking about how it makes them think that that's how it's going to start at the beginning of the year for the Canadians. But maybe that'll be factored into the overall schedule. But it, 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 I mean, it, it is it's ludicrous because I mean, the teams, the players don't have a, a return date. Because the league doesn't have a start date. Yeah. The league doesn't have a start date because the league won't give it until the players are back or something. It's, yeah. It feels there, like a circle. It feels like there, a... There's been some teams that have, have said, oh, well, our preseason is expected to start such a date in January. Now, Atlanta was one of those teams. But to be fair, Atlanta are going to be in the CONCACAF Champions League. So I think that's got something to, to kind of do with, with that and getting them back early for that. But yeah, the players basically, Steve, can't return because they've not been told when their return dates are, and then they have to be given a period of time that they're allowed to return. So it doesn't look like pre-season is getting underway anytime at the end of, of January or, or anytime soon. Yeah. So if that's not getting underway, you're not going to be starting the league this, in, in mid-March. This, this smells to me similar to what the CFL did, um, where... They recognize that there's no point of having a season because they weren't going to be able to make money off it or they were going to lose a lot of money. And it feels like MLS is because they don't have the TV deals the other leagues have. Um, they're looking that maybe this is just going to end like they won't have a season this year and they're fine with that because they'd rather have no season than lose money on the season. It's probably a bet if, if it's true that they lost a billion dollars, uh, you, you think that they, you know, what's the point of having a season? So let's just. Uh, use this uh, force majeure or whatever it is. Uh, I, I confused it with something in Braveheart last week. Yeah. Uh, but but um, uh, but yeah. Why why not use this and just end the season? That we we just say we couldn't get to a deal. The they can lock them out or the players go on strike or whatever the case is. But just end the season. Maybe they do like a halfway through the thing and do the uh, um, what, the, what was that MLS returns cup or whatever. And then because that was so successful last year, so why not just do it this year, where the half a season where they have on strike, and then by maybe mid-season they were able to come back and play the rest of the year. MLS is back again, uh, is what they could possibly call that. Yes. What we'll do for the the rest of this part, I I'm not going to play any audio from the the Don Garber call because we've basically addressed the the main things that that he's had to see, but I am going to play you just now. Some audio is an hour call, so I'm only going to pick some of the most pertinent bits, the most important bits I, I felt from Bob Fuse's call with the media on Wednesday. Now, he's the executive director of the MLS Players Association. There's a, a lot covered in it. Got to ask a couple of questions myself regarding Canadian issues and just how this leaves the, the league looking. So let's hear that just now, and then we'll unpack that in the next part.
some of our perspectives on where we are in the process and, and what we expect to happen. Um, and I want to start by being as clear as I can up front um, about what this negotiation is not about. Um, first, it's not about this $1 billion number that's been repeatedly thrown around by the league. Um, I've now seen them explain it in several different ways, and it, it's important that it be put in the proper context. And for a league and, and honestly for any business that's clearly in investment or growth mode, uh, which MLS is, uh, it's obviously not unusual to lose money in any individual year. Growth, uh, not profitability, uh, is the goal for those type of businesses and has been the goal for MLS now for, for many years. The financial information um, for the league and the teams, uh, including projections on, on what is expected in the future, that are provided to us are subject to a confidentiality agreement. So I can't disclose uh, any of those numbers that we see. What I can say, however, is that all of the league's actual financial information, uh, as well as all of those projections, uh, were a part of the CBA negotiations that ended in February and, and were reflected in the deal that we reached. So to the extent that those numbers or projections were positive, then that helped us get more for players. And to the extent they were negative, that, that forced us to take, take less for players. Uh, but the bottom line is that all of that, uh, all of those projections, um, what was expected to happen uh, over the next several years, uh, were already accounted for in the CBA uh, prior to the outset of the pandemic. The only thing that wasn't accounted for uh, was the financial impact uh, that COVID uh, would have on the league. So what that means is there's only one financial metric to look at in this negotiation, and that is what was the impact of the pandemic on the league's bottom line. So in other words, how was the league's performance compared to its budgeted expectations um, given what has happened with regard to COVID, both in terms of revenues and expenses? Uh, I've seen this reported several ways now, but nowhere have I seen it reported accurately uh, because the league has not publicly announced or revealed that number that answers the key question. Uh, so first and foremost, this negotiation is not about a $1 billion financial loss by MLS as a result of the pandemic. I want to be clear on that. The other thing that this negotiation isn't about uh, is losses caused by the pandemic in 2020. Uh, players made significant concessions in the renegotiated CBA in June. Uh, those concessions covered a substantial portion of MLS's 2020 pandemic-induced losses. Uh, they were incurred by players last year, they're going to be incurred by players this year, and they're going to continue to be incurred by players uh, every year through the 2025 season. Uh, so while the league is taken to saying that there are no salary reductions in 2021, the reality is that concessions have already been made uh, in each year of the renegotiated CBA to account for the, the financial impact uh, of the virus. And while the league may continue to, to talk about 2020 losses, the reality is that the negotiation over those losses is finished. We had that negotiation last summer. The players have taken and will continue to take a significant financial hit 
that is equal to a significant portion of those losses. So what is the negotiation about? It's simple. It's about 2021 and 2021 only, and it's about the losses that will be caused by the pandemic this year. And the fact is, right now, um, that neither we nor the league have any idea what impact the pandemic's going to have on finances in the 2021 season. Uh, despite that, what the league's proposed uh, is the following. First, they want players to continue to do everything that they do. They want them to play a full season, accept being exposed to all the dangers that remain uh, from the virus, continue to take all of the risk from COVID that's out there uh, in order to provide them with a full season. And second, they want the players to give them additional concessions that exceed the value of the concessions given last year. So that's the proposal that's currently on the table from MLS. So our analysis at this point uh, is really about three things. Uh, the first is, uh, is it reasonable to project that the pandemic will cause more losses in 21 than in 20? Uh, assuming the answer to that is no, which uh, we certainly think is the case and don't see any reason why, conceivably why, uh, that wouldn't be the case. Uh, the question becomes, what is a reasonable estimate uh, of what those losses in 2021 that are caused by the pandemic will be? The second question is, do the league and the teams have the flexibility in the current CBA to cut player costs uh, when necessary in response to whatever those losses may be? Uh, and the answer to that question is an unequivocal yes, absolutely. Uh, over 40% um, of uh, the budgeted amounts in the CBA are discretionary. Um, which means that they do not have to be spent and clubs can make individual decisions on them. Now they've probably, or they, they have committed uh, certain of those monies already and therefore they can't cut them all, uh, but they certainly have the ability and had the ability and will continue to have the ability moving forward to cut significant amounts, a million, two million dollars per team per year from their player spend if they determine that that's what's necessary based on the economic climate and the losses caused by the pandemic. That leads to the third question, which is, um, given all of that, are there any additional concessions that we think are reasonable and fair? So we haven't answered, obviously, all of those questions yet. Um, once we have our analysis completed uh, and, and the input that we need from player leadership, uh, we'll figure out uh, how we're going to respond uh, to the offer, and we've been talking to our player leadership uh, through the weekend and, and every day this week. In making the decision ultimately uh, in terms of how we respond, one of the fundamental questions we keep coming back to is, is the question of what this negotiation is really about. Is it about financial necessity uh, or is it about financial opportunism? And there's a larger point that uh, I think is worth making there. Um, the evidence that I've seen uh, as it relates to the overall um, cultural impact, economic impact of COVID, um, isn't that there's been some major redistribution of wealth or that financial impact has been distributed evenly across society, across um, all of us. 
what we've seen instead is that the people at the top of the economic ladder, and, and that group includes all of our owners, but I'm not just talking about billionaires here, I'm talking about the wealthiest people in the country, have generally seen their wealth remain relatively unaffected, and in many cases uh, have seen that wealth increase over the course of this year. It's the people who aren't at the top of the economic spectrum, uh, which is a group that includes many of our supporters, club employees, match day workers, I'm sure uh, a lot of reporters and other people across the soccer industry, and frankly, many of our players and their families, it's that group um, that's going to absorb much of the economic impact uh, of this pandemic. So while we can't, as a group, um, set out to address or correct all the financial inequities in our society, if we can and we should and we have to raise the issue of fairness. Um, we need to make sure that an unfair portion of the financial impact of this pandemic uh, isn't being passed along to the current and future player pool. To drill down a little further on that idea, the brunt of the league's current proposal would be borne by the bottom half to two-thirds of the player pool uh, in terms of salary uh, or overall pay. Uh, to the extent that any more concessions from players are fair, that type of distribution and spread amongst the player pool uh, certainly isn't fair. So I know I don't have or didn't give you any um, detailed answers as to what our response will be and when our response will be, but hopefully uh, this has been helpful in sort of laying out the framework, the way we're thinking about it. Uh, and the things that we are doing uh, to prepare ourselves for, for continued discussions. So uh, with that, I'm happy to take any questions that you may have. You know, yesterday I'm sure you heard Don say that, you know, that the end of the 30-day window was a hard deadline. You know, when do you think you might be able to submit a counteroffer, and how much urgency are you feeling from, from this 30-day deadline that was – in, you know, forced upon you by the force majeure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. And um, <laughs> to, to start off, I'll say that, the, that Don's comments about the deadline yesterday were news to us and, and contradicted what we've heard from the league in our calls. Uh, the force majeure clause doesn't do anything to establish a deadline. Uh, what it does establish is a limit on how quickly the league is allowed to take action. Uh, so they can't act for 30 days, but they're not required to act within 30 days. That's just not part of it. Um, Don isn't a lawyer, and um, he hasn't been involved uh, in any of the conversations that we've had with the league on this so far. So uh, I don't know if this is a case in which he misunderstood the provision. Uh, and misspoke, uh, or whether uh, it was his intention to announce a change in position in the press uh, prior to uh, informing us. So uh, either way, there's no legal deadline here at all, uh, nor is there any logic in, in setting one, uh, certainly in, in January. Uh, if anything, as time goes by, we're all going to have a better understanding of what the 2021 season uh, is going to look like. So uh, that was all news to us, and uh, we'll have to see what we hear from them when we get get back and, and have another conversation. And when do you think you'll be able to submit a counteroffer? Um, as soon as we are 
through our process of really talking this through at a high level with our bargaining committee. We will um, put together a counter and, and have a, a conversation with our board and then and then back through the committee again. And, um, you know, we're moving as quickly as we can, and uh, we've only had this for a week. So we would uh, – we'll do our best to get back to, to the league on a um, – as soon as we've had the conversations that we need to have. You know, that said, we're not uh, rushing – uh, just because somehow suddenly the league has decided that um, that there's this magical deadline that no one's ever mentioned before. So um, this is a big deal, and these are big decisions and important. And the way we operate is uh, we are always, our decisions are always um, made by our player leadership, and, and that's going to continue to be the case. I mean, typically, you know, training camps open in, in mid to late January. Uh, six weeks ahead of the openers. Uh, we're getting close to that point. What are you looking at? What are you telling players? What are teams telling the players about when they can start formally working out? Uh, that's been an incredible source of frustration uh, in an otherwise frustrating time. We've been asking uh, the league um, not only for a start date, uh, because you can't set a report date without knowing the opening date of the season. So there is no report date right now for anyone. Right. Uh, so our, our players are being forced to sit at home without the understanding of when it is that they might be required to, to report. We've been asking uh, for that date for since well before MLS Cup um, and have also asked it just for – a statement that you know we're not going to report prior to X, so we could at least give the players uh, something to rely on to, to plan their off season at a time when that off season is probably the most important one we've ever had in terms of recovery and recuperation. Uh, we've gotten nothing from the league. Uh, we've just gotten the same thing that they've said publicly, uh, coupled with all kinds of rumors, which I'm sure many of you have heard about. Uh, the fact that they know very well they're not starting in early March. So the fear on our side is, and it's kind of hard not to conclude this, that this is all just part of a game that they're playing because somehow they think uh, trying to rush a, a, a force majeure conversation it will be advantageous to them now while things are worse than, than later when they clearly won't be as bad. So I, I you know, your guess is as good as mine as to when they are going to start. Uh, I certainly see a lot of logic in um, taking whatever time we can take to delay the season as long as we can still get the full season in uh, because I don't think there's any question at all that um, once we get into um, March and April, we're, we're going to start seeing uh, things get better. Uh, so it's a it's been a huge source of frustration, and we don't know any anything more than what you know. Just to be clear, it sounds like the union's expectation is that the season is not going to start in that usual early to mid March time frame. Is that is that your expectation at this point? <laughs> that ought to be a very easy question. <laughs> I realize I don't know what to expect. To be honest, it seems like that would be hard to do. Uh, Anecdotally, what we are hearing is that teams have not begun to plan their preseason, which makes 
you know, makes me think that that it's not going to happen in the near future. Um, but the league is continuing to maintain that that's what they are shooting for is an early to mid-March start. So we've heard lots of rumors from various folks uh, about different timelines, but um, we're not able, honestly, to have an expectation at this point, which, as I said, is very frustrating. Kind of wanted to ask about the, the Canadian side of things, because obviously last season the the players on the Canadian teams went through a, a lot of hardship, and all, all the players went through hardship, but for those guys in particular, having to relocate to, to America, it looks like that might be happening again. Is, is this a big part of the discussions you're having as well, and would it not make more sense to delay things to maybe allow a, a level playing field for the Canadian side? And, and, you know, there is no question that the, our players on Canadian teams um, in a year that was brutally difficult for all players, it was even more so for them and, and what they had to go through and what they did go through to get the season played was extraordinary. Uh, the last thing we want to do is, is repeat that experience this year. Um, we have not had any conversation with the league about that at this point because we haven't had any real conversation with them about um, you know what the schedule is going to look like, what preseason is going to look like. So unfortunately, I can't report uh, any kind of progress or news there, other than to say I, I certainly understand the importance of the question, and I certainly uh, understand the what is a very good argument for delaying uh, the season, particularly since my understanding is that we can get the full season in even if we start uh, later than, than normal. So uh, that would be logical and uh, the best solution, obviously, for, for the Canadian teams and, and for us. Uh, we'll have to, to see if that's the solution that wins the day. And just as a clarification, not to monopolize too much time here, but that January 28th date, um, basically after then, the 30-day negotiating window closes, and in theory, the league could lock the players out at that point. Is that do I have that straight? It's not quite that simple, but it's but it's what could, what what happens, uh, and there's no. Uh, he, Don kept talking about a 30-day negotiating window. There's no window here. What the provision says is that when it's exercised, uh, the league can't move to terminate the CBA for 30 days after that exercise, during which time the parties will talk. So that's it. There's no window. Uh, if they don't do anything the day after, then they don't do anything. We're, we're continuing to talk. There continues to be whatever dialogue there is. So there's no set negotiating window here. There's no legal deadline at all. That has uh, just been, you know, set apparently yesterday in the in the press call by Don, uh, not something we've heard of and not something that is a part of any agreement that we have with the league. My question kind of goes along the lines of, of a possible work stoppage. With the way that negotiations have gone so far, what is your level of confidence that a work stoppage can be avoided? That's a tough question to answer. I, I certainly hope that it doesn't come to that. Uh, it shouldn't come to that. Uh, with all that we went through collectively 
last year uh, and with you know how bright the future can be once we get past this uh, it's critically important that we have um, a, a very positive uh, bounce back year um, we have no intention of refusing to abide by the terms of the agreement that we that we made uh, so if there's going to be a work stoppage then um, that's would be a decision uh, made by the, the league and the owners uh, to do that. Um, so I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Um, that said, um, having seen the way they conducted the negotiation last summer uh, and heard what Don said yesterday, uh, I think w we certainly have to say that it's a real possibility and uh, it's something that we have spoken to players about. And, you know, our players have been preparing for the possibility uh, of a work stoppage for, for more than two years now. So they understand the implications uh, and they're not going to uh, be forced to take a deal uh, that they find unacceptable just because of, of that threat. So I hope it's uh, I hope it's not a real threat because... Uh, frankly, it would be a, uh, a catastrophic mistake on the part of the league and on part of the owners. And, and I say that, you know, from all of our perspectives, uh, it, would, it would be incredibly damaging to MLS and, and MLS's future. So uh, I hope that it is not um, uh, that they don't consider this a serious possibility, but uh, all indications are that, that they do. And kind of piggybacking off of that, uh, based on the current CBA, uh, it, it doesn't sound like you are contemplating a strike, and uh, maybe you can clarify if that's something you could even do. Um, and then I also wanted to ask just generally about, you talked about the preparations you've made uh, between uh, yourself and the players. Uh, are you confident you're in a position to uh, you know, withstand a potential work stoppage? You know, a work stoppage is a puts tremendous strain on on workers, there's just there's no getting around that. It, it is challenging. Um, that said, I am extraordinarily confident in the ability of our player pool to rise to challenges, uh, particularly when those challenges are uh, important ones and ones um, for which they've had a, a, a chance to to prepare and to understand. Uh, and I think you know. Our guys have had that, so hope it doesn't happen. Um, but I have a lot of confidence in our in our our guys' ability to withstand it. Uh, we have no no intention of of going on strike. Um, we, you know, as I said, we we intended, as we did last Feb February, we intended to honor the terms of the deal that we had struck. And we intend to honor the terms of the deal we struck in June. So this is entirely um, coming from the league. I feel like we've gone through this and haven't asked about the players. What's been their reaction that you've, you've gotten so far about the league invoking this and, and moving forward with wine changes? Are they frustrated? Are they angry? Or did they kind of expect this and, and think that this was going to happen anyway? Uh, they're very frustrated. They're, they're certainly angry. Um, I think it would be impossible to overstate uh, the damage to the relationship uh, that the league did uh, with the way they conducted things last summer. Um, it was substantial and, and will be very long-lasting. 
because of that, I, I it's unfortunate, but I, I don't think players were surprised uh, that there was uh, yet another attempt to, to renege and renegotiate from the league. Um, but they're certainly uh, disappointed, um, particularly given everything that they gave in 2020 and risked. Um, you know, what they did was truly extraordinary. What the player and the, the team staffs did was truly extraordinary. And, uh, and the reality is there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of consideration uh, being given to either of those groups uh, on any of the big picture issues. And that's, uh, that's, that's disappointing. And uh, in my mind and in the minds of our, our players, that's, it's, it's just wrong the way the, the league and the owners have gone about this. I wanted to kind of just put this in context. Did you always plan or did the um, MLSPA always plan to have this uh, conference with media today or is this a response from yesterday or from what the, from what the league said yesterday? Uh, no, we did not, and that's why you got late notice of it. it, it we did not plan on having it. Um, in our prior negotiations, we have been uh, successful on both sides in, in not negotiating on the you know in the press, the league, and I have no idea whether this is based on some new game plan, some new advisors, uh, but they are obviously doing the opposite this time through the. Uh, the proposal that we've been talking about um, was distributed to the media prior to uh, it being distributed, even to me, let alone to um, our full player leadership. So, uh, and then yesterday's call, obviously, we had no notice of that and um, uh, no conversations with them about that. So, um, you know, they clearly have decided that this is. Uh, going to be their approach. Um, we have made it very clear to them that it is a damaging approach. It makes a deal much harder to reach. Uh, they know that. They've they've acknowledged that in the past, but they're they're deciding to do it anyway. So um, it is hard to say exactly what the strategy is, who's running the show, and and why uh, they're taking the steps they're taking on their side right now. Just wanted to ask from a player's perspective, it's obviously an unsettling time. There's going to be players that's got offers maybe from clubs out with MLS and they're maybe kind of weighing up their options just now. What would your message be to the league in case they might find themselves not being able to attract players or might have to lose players from the league by the tactics that they're currently adopting? That's a message that and it is that um, they damage themselves and they damage the league when they refuse to uh, show the respect to the player pool that it deserves and when they treat them like, um, you know, frankly, um, assets uh, for them to, to move around and, and play with as they see fit. Uh, it does not make MLS more appealing as a destination for players. Uh, there is a worldwide network, obviously, of players uh, who talk. So, um, you know, and we've heard this uh, publicly from players um, in MLS through this negotiation, that, that uh, treating them like this is, uh, is going to make it harder to attract players from, from elsewhere. And it's going to make it more likely that players from here will choose to go elsewhere. Uh, let me just add on to that, and I, I want to be very, very clear on this. 
we understand and respect that that um, a the owners have made an enormous investment in this league, and b that that losses caused by this pandemic have been real. Uh, so there is no one on our side uh, denying that. There is no one on our side who has refused to uh, to do their part to try to alleviate them. Uh, the reality is, though, that. Um, as I said at the beginning, the 2020 losses have been negotiated and paid for uh, substantially by the player pool. Um, whatever losses happen in 2021 related to the pandemic, which is impossible to know right now, the league has every opportunity to recoup um, out of player expenses, and they have simply chosen not to. What we've seen from teams uh, has been business as usual with significant signings of players around the world. So uh, once again, we're just seeing, unfortunately, um, uh, just a, 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 an opportunism, um, apparently, from the league and uh, a lack of consideration for their, and a lack of understanding of their, their players. So that was MLSPA Executive Director Bob Fuster. A lot to talk about, a lot covered. I found it, and I was speaking to our good friend Har after the call as well, absolutely fascinating call. We're going to talk about some of the things that came out of it after this. Hi, I'm Mark Anthony Kay, and you're listening to the AFTN Radio Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the new song from former Artist of the Month here at AFTN, Scottish legends Mogwai, Richie Sacramento, taken from their forthcoming album, As the Love Continues, which is released on February 19th. I'm really looking forward to, to hearing that one, Love Mogwai. And I thought it was very fitting. Richie Sacramento, because Sacramento, of course, are going to be one of the new teams coming into MLS. One of the teams paying an obscene amount of money to be able to join the pyramid scheme that is Major League Soccer. But yet, the league are pleading poverty. 
lost a billion dollars, as we talked about in the first part, Bob Foose talked about there. So from listening to, to what he said, it certainly feels that the union, Garber, the league, the players, all parties involved, they seem very far apart just now. Yeah, they. I mean, they seem far apart in a number of like. There's so many things that they 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 feel far apart in relationally. They feel far apart based on what how things went went last year. Uh, there does. Uh, I think they're. I don't think they're on the same page in terms of this year being a full year. I don't think they're on the same page in terms of. Uh, the projected amount that MLS will make or lose in 2021. I don't think they're on the same page when it comes to the fact that MLS wants the basis on what happened in 2020 and the league wants to, to, or the players union wants to try and project what's going to happen in 2021. Um, Like, yeah, you're right. They they are so, and then they're, they're, I think they're far apart on, you know, what the losses will be. Mm -hmm. I think one of the key issues though is, this whole idea, which we, I think we talked about last week, and I, I don't know if I understood it last week fully, and I think I understand it less this week from reading things and, and listening to things. But how, if you can maybe clarify this for me, Michael. Last week we talked about how, or last time we talked, we talked about how they want to extend the CBA, the overall CBA by two years, which is a massive, like it's an, it's got to be a, non, a non-negotiable for the players. They can't allow that to happen and lose the next TV contract and the, the 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 joint World Cup bid and all that's tied into that they can't lose that as a leverage point. So it feels like a yeah. no go. I've heard that there as a part of that discussion, uh, one of the op- options is is it to extend la- what they agreed on last year initially or just extend? Yes, is that that's what they want, right? Partly, I like I I'm with you. I'm struggling to get my head around a lot of it. It seems to be that the players wouldn't be drastically worse off this year if they took the deal that MLS are wanting to give them. But long term, it's going to really hit them in the pocket. And uh, as Bob Foose said, if you vote for it now, you're looking after yourself just now, but it's the future players that are going to be coming into the league that will be worse off by this. Now, there's a number of ways of looking at that. Some people, of course, are going to think to themselves, I'm not going to be in MLS in two, three, four years' time, so it doesn't really matter. I'll just kind of vote for this now. But it does seem to be that extending it is going to make it worse off for the players because they're probably thinking they can negotiate an even better deal when this CBA finishes. But now this CBA is going to be tied in for a little bit longer. And I know nobody saw the pandemic coming and everything like that, but the key thing here, Steve... And Foose mentioned this several times. This billion-dollar loss that MLS keep talking about. Now, first of all, Foose said that is not actually based in fact and reality. That it's not quite the billion dollars that they're making it out to be as in a straight figure cash in their pockets. But he said that was all addressed last year when the players took a pay cut to kind of cover that loss. So MLS are trying to base the negotiations for 2021 on what happened in 2020, but the expectation from everyone is that they're not going to lose anywhere near a billion in 2021 because things are improving, so things are going to get better. So the league's actually going to lose less, but they're wanting the players to give up more. So that doesn't make any sense at all. No, and they're using the uh, what happened last year, and I... 
um, in order to uh, gain a stronger advantage for a future contract and everything, they're like I agree with him that they probably work the books, and they, they, every organization does this. They work the books unless they're a publicly traded company. They can work it where they show losses in other places that are connected to the league, uh, but not. And then I, I drawing a blank that what's that offshoot they have that the marketing the, the sum. Some, yeah, some, yeah, yeah. So who knows how much money that that side's making? They could easily funnel the money into there, and because the ownership owners of the league have uh, like a you know a percentage of that or ownership of that. So uh, there's unless you get somebody in the in the court that makes them forces them to open all their books, uh, they can claim almost anything they want to at this point. But the, th- the thing is as well, it, it just shows up again how ridiculous it is that you're taking in expansion fees and it just goes into the owner's pockets and it doesn't actually nece- necessarily go back into the team and it doesn't go into the league. So, I mean, they're pleading poverty. But what, what Fu said is it's important not to penalise future players, as I mentioned. But he said that the offers that stands just now, it would severely hit the player's that's in the middle to bottom half of the salary. And that's what's usually the case in things like this. It's the players at the lower end of the spectrum that's worse off. The top paid players are still going to get what, what they would be getting. So it's your young homegrown guys, your your domestics that you're bringing in, the guys that they're thinking are just grateful for, for having a place to play that are going to be worse off. And Fu said that the, the union's response to all of this will be based on whether the league's demands are because of financial necessity or financial opportunism. And reading between the lines, right now, the union feel it's financial opportunism. Yeah, and and Zach, you won't know this, but Michael, you do. There's a certain organization that laid off 40% of their staff. (laughs) And and this year, they're going to be, this past year, they recorded their record profits. Yeah. So and they're a publicly traded company. That's why they. I know. I know. It's, it's WWE. Yeah. You got it. All right. I, uh, yeah. I mean, that, this is what how big corporations operate, and it's terrible. It's always the it's those at the bottom of the ladder that lose out. Like MLSsoccer.com's paid off a lot of their writers and their editors and stuff like that. So it's it's guys like that that suffer. It's a it's a bad situation. Neither side really wanted to use the word strike or lockout or anything like that. Uh, Fuss was asked about it and basically he said for the last two years since all these negotiations have begun the union and the players have been planning for a lockout so if it comes they are ready for it and I think the appetite is there for it that was music to my ears when I was reading your tweets about it Michael you're so generously shared with the world it was so encouraging to hear him say we've been preparing for two years now, obviously, not everyone's going to be as prepared as everyone. Like, it's not going to be equal preparation, but... Well, yeah, you're relying really on the players to actually have some business savvy and put some money aside. Being told to do that and doing it's two different things. But Fuss did also say that players are angry and frustrated. And they're not really surprised because of how negotiations had gone with the league to get the current CBA in place. But he, he felt that the way that those negotiations went, but in particular, the way that the negotiations went in the summer for MLS's back and everything that went with that, has caused, and this is his quote, substantial and very long-lasting damage to the relationship between the players and to 
to the league. And you have to think, if, if players have options just now, I'm not talking about MLS options, but options as to where to play, you're going to think, there's so much uncertainty in MLS, why am I going to want to play in MLS? I'm just going to sign somewhere else where I know I've got a contract and my contract is with the club and it's not with a league that might try and lock me out. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is this is bad for the league in the long run, in the big picture, and I don't know that they fully grasp that. Yeah, they should take a, a, a like take heed of what the Whitecaps have done in the past to players that have left the organization. You don't want to have that reputation spread across the world. Then, I mean, the last question to to Bob Foose, I was fortunate enough to get to get the last question in, as well as my question on the Canadian situation, which we'll come to in a sec. The last question which which I asked him was, he talked about the damage between the players in the league, but it's the general damage to the worldwide player pool and what's happened in the league. And, I mean, he, he was very, very open and honest with what he said. He's like, yep, players talk. This will be known around the world as to how the players are getting treated. If the league decides to treat the players as assets... Players will walk. Players will not decide that MLS is their league of choice. So it's whether the le- the league want to to try and go down that route. You've got the world coming to North America in 2026. You would hope that they've built the leagues up in the next five or six years in the build-up to the World Cup. And then the hope was after the World Cup, players will have come over here, seen the stadium, seen the infrastructure, seen the lifestyle and thought, do you know what MLS is the league I want to play in? All of this is damaging that right now. Hundred percent, and the totally. and and the, but the thing is about the uh, one thing I want to ask you about assets. Like you're talking about treating the players like assets. Doesn't that happen all over the world in this league? Considering they 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 sell players basically, essentially. So isn't everybody considered an asset, or is it the different yeah. in Europe the way they do? It? Yes and no, because it's different, and it's like let, let's use like Zach's club Bayern Munich as an example of like a big European team can't really use his Fife in this scenario so let's use Bayern Munich yeah if you sign for a team like Bayern Munich or one of the big European teams I guess you are basically an asset but at the same time you've got a say in your contract whether you agree transfers like they're not suddenly going to pull the rug out of your feet and Bayern's not going to say, oh, we've just transferred you to Dynamo Moscow. So you're off on Monday. But yeah, and B- but Bayern also knows, yeah, so they have a say, but Bayern also knows that. Like that's one of the the things that, ha- I mean, not every situation goes well, but th- they have built things there so that players feel like it's home. They feel like when you talk to a lot of Bayern players in the last, especially the last 15, 20 years, uh, it's very much they speak of it as a family. Now I know there's other, you know, before that period, before the last 20 years, there's people who speak of it in a different way. But especially in the last 20 years, it's they've they've been intentional to make the culture of the team really well. Sure, some people have left, it has been good, but a lot of them leave and it's good. And a lot of the a lot of the players, when they leave, um uh, or sorry, there's been a number of times where the they've done stuff in terms of like helping the player go to the club they want to go to, as opposed to necessarily where that would be the, you know, bring the biggest, uh, you know, uh, feedback. them. Yeah, feedback them. They've also stood by players. Roque Santa Cruz, an incredibly young, talented striker from Paraguay that they brought in, 
who continued to have injury problem after injury problem after injury problem. And they stood by him. There was times where like, I think his contract was out and he was like a year or more away from recovery. And they're like, yeah, we're going to renew your contract because it's the right thing to do. Like, sure. We could just be like, yeah, okay, good luck. But they're like, they didn't feel good. They they had a guy who they had a Brazilian kid uh, who they brought in. He had some issues. He, I think he set his apartment on fire. And he like wasn't Darren Maddox, was it? No, no. He went to jail for it, and they like worked with him, and they got him like a work release program where he would like come and work at the club on his work release and stuff, and like helped him get back to Brazil. You know, at the end of at the end of thing, whatever. Like they genuinely like care. I'm care about care about people, which is like hugely important. Which MLS clubs do not understand and i mean but what, what, example- what i would say about that though is like there are some really good clubs that look after their players like if you speak to sport and kc players and i yeah. don't want to just bring up johnny russell for no reason but i spoke to johnny about life in kansas city and he loved the life there he loved the family atmosphere at the club they seem to be a club that does stuff like that and clubs can only do so much and there's been a lot of folk that's talked about the white caps and how well that they've looked after their wife and the the folk that come when there's new signings and they, they help the players integrate into the country and the, the city and they do all that kind of stuff. Clubs can only do so much, but if the league's suddenly doing all this other stuff and they ultimately own their contract, a, a club like Kansas City could be a great family club and a great atmosphere and a club that players want to be at, but ultimately what happens at league level overrides all that and undoes all that you're right and the, the league level does play a role I, just to comment what you said about the the white caps do quite a good job on the way in that, mm-hmm. that's not usually the issue yeah. it's well you're here and especially on the way out these are people we know if you if you talk to the Rochat family they'll tell you that it's just it's un, it's unfathomable that you would treat another human being in the way that they were treated like it, aside from the system being different, that's sure the system's different. You're allowed to do it, whatever. But the fact that you would do that in the way that it was done was just like, well, yeah. I mean, as we've, as we've talked about before, the way that Montreal handled the Evan Bush situation is the way yeah. that clubs should should work in MLS. Yeah. That's yeah. how things I mean, should work. I mean, give you another Bayern example this year. They, he, he wanted to go to Liverpool. They helped, or they, Thiago wanted to go to Liverpool. He, he, they helped him get to, like, they helped him get to Liverpool. And uh, we talked about it, I think, at the time. But what happened when the deal is done, it's all signed? Thiago's in the parking lot with the president of the club. And he goes up to him and he embraces him and he's like weeping. And he's like thankful for his time and he's thankful for him and help him move on to a club where he's going to go get, get COVID. <laughs> But he's he's th- he's very 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 thankful. Yeah. But you're right. Players in the players in the world of football, they do in in large. They they most of them know it. I, I'll never forget a conversation I had with uh, Craig Forrest outside of Stad Saputo when we were there for, I think it was I think it was one of the the finals or something or maybe it was a Canada game. Anyways, Craig Forrest was there and we were hanging out just outside the stadium or whatever and and talking and I said something to him about like. Oh, you know, whenever you're doing your Sportsnet broadcast, you're always like getting in all the. I was like, you're getting all this background info, but when you were at West Ham and you know you're whatever, and I was like, so like, is West Ham like, is that like where your heart's at or whatever or something like that? And he was just like, no, he's just like, I mean, I look out for the clubs I played at, of course, but he's like, you feel like meat, 
it's essentially what he said. Like you feel like a piece of meat. You're a commodity. You're moved. You're like as needs come and go. And so that goes just, back to what Steve said. Then yeah, yeah. You just fight. You just fight as much as you can. Now th that's his experience. I would say you know other players in different times have had diff in di different places have had different mm. experiences, but. Yeah, MLS has certainly got a lot to learn and how they deal with this situation is it's going to be interesting. What makes the most sense to me is that you delay the season until maybe May. And this was the question as, as we played there that I asked Bob Fuss about the Canadian players. What makes the most sense to me is you delay it until maybe May, you let folk get vaccinated, you let see how the land lies in terms of the border and then you kind of look at what you can do and Fusa said that their understanding is you can still start the season in May or even June and still get a full season in it might mean that you're playing like two games a week but you can still get that full season in so there is no big rush to get this done I know there'll be concerns that they'll lose players to the Euros over the summer, some certain teams, but there there is no rush just now. And in terms of the Canadian players, last thing we'll talk about in this section, Garber, as we talked about, said he feels for the, the Canadian teams and the Canadian players, probably in the same way that when you're watching a nature documentary and you see an antelope getting ripped apart by a cheetah, you do feel a little bit for the antelope, but eh, what can you do about it? But Fuss said that they've not had any actual discussions with the union about what is happening with the Canadian teams. That's very alarming to me from both sides. I do understand they've got a lot more things to talk about, but that's a key, key issue. But Fuss said he did not want the Canadian teams or the Canadian players or the players on the Canadian teams to go through what they went through last year. Because no players should be going through that at, at this time. And if you're then making it that you're trying to have a full normal season where you're flying all over North America, that just makes it all the worse. I was on the TFC call where they introduced their new coach during the week, and we'll hear a bit of that later. And the, the TFC guys are still thinking, oh, we might get a March start. But you have to think, any start in March is going to be within Canada no matter what. But just delay this. Just wait until May. There is no rush. And then you might be able to even get fans in in more places because the vaccine's going to be rolled out. Yeah. I think waiting, waiting is important. But let, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens with the Canadian teams. It's going to drag on and on. I don't think we'll get a resolution anytime soon. I hope we do. I'll be majorly surprised, though, if we do. But that's all our chat about that. We're going to turn our attention next to some of the other news affecting the Canadian teams around MLS. And we will be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a classic song from Kasabian, Clubfoot. I thought it was a, a very apt choice to, to kick off this part because we're going to be talking about the rebrand of the Montreal Impact. They're the Impact no more. They are Club de Foot Montreal. Not Club de Football, but Club de Foot. Yes, the Impact are no more. We have CD Montreal, CDF Montreal, CF I Montreal. I don't know where you want to go. I think it's CFM. I saw some t-shirts that said CFM on there. Ah, I think yeah. CF Montreal is what they're actually wanting folk to call it. Yeah. I'm just going to go with plain old Montreal. So, is CF Montreal maybe something you, something that supporters might make in this FU Montreal, I think, was something that we had uh, back in the the Swan Guard days. For well, Montreal is known for enjoying their, you know, uh, Toronto uh, football clowns or whatever. Oh, I think I think C. If you think about it, CF Montreal is is um, there's a I think a common uh, unfortunate saying that um, people will use, and I'm pretty sure it might get used. Well, now, 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 if just to let you know, if you if you mentioning uh, you know, you thought it should be club de football, uh, if you actually Google translate club de foot, it actually translate it translates into football club. Does translate, so I guess maybe it is the right wording. Yeah, they kind of touched a little bit on that on their their kind of introduction thing, saying but, that they were I, going for the francophone version of it. But the thing is, if you look at it in English, it doesn't look good because uh, the club foot. Like if like I was just I was I was googling the uh, the images and everything, and I forgot to put de in there, so I just put club foot, and oh. the first thing that popped up was Montreal. So it wasn't even oh. like, and so it's like if you Google Club Foot, Montreal pops up right away. I, I was outside in the in the Fraser Valley tonight, and there were their logos everywhere. It's very similar to the Montreal Expo logo from '67. I want to say is when they had the Montreal oh, Expo. Oh, really? But yeah. I don't, I don't remember their initial logos. Yeah, but 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 let, let's talk about the name first of all. Then we, we had a little chat about this before, and the impact's not a great name. But at least it was unique. And at least they haven't gone for just Montreal FC. They have gone for the, the francophone version, the, the CF Montreal. Okay, so Montreal FC wouldn't be a good enough reason to, to rebrand name change, in my opinion. I, I the one, the, one of the few th- things that I appreciated about the whole press conference release thing, which was, you know, 45 minutes of my life, I'll never get back. Um, <laughs> tell me about it. I was on for an extra forty-five minutes after it for the media thing. <laughs> was was listening to uh, Mr. Cheese himself, Joey Saputo, at the beginning, uh, or or uh, Mr. Gilmore or whatever, um, uh, talking about the reason why. Like he asked Joey, like, why did you call it the club Montreal Impact? And Joey said, you know, we wanted to make an impact. And and Gilmore is like, okay, like congratulations, you like that job is accomplished. Now we need to move on to the next thing. That like made it was like the first time someone talking about it that made somewhat of a sense. Now, I I'm not I'm not in favor of this kind of thing. I know like I'm friends with uh, some people in Montreal, uh, particularly of the classic original UMO two variety. That uh, I just I, I I just feel so terrible for them and all this as we'll continue to discuss. But um, 
but yeah, like that, that made at least a little bit like logical sense and mm. like sounded like reasonable, but from the, the rest of it, 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 it's really, it's really bad. Like it's, it's just, I, I know, I, I appreciate that the French, yeah, they need to, it needs to be French. Like I'm all for that. That's great. Like that's significant and important and I value it. That's great. But club to foot, like, yeah. It just doesn't sound great in English. Like, no, it doesn't sound worth giving up Limpact. The hope is that they're going to appeal more to the European market. I mean, do you see that happening, Steve? With that? I don't. Is there any clubs that are called Club de Foot or in? Or I genuinely it... don't know. I don't follow French football much. I'm sure there's bound to be. Yeah, they're bound to be. I thought they should have gone. I was kind of disappointed that they didn't go with Olympique or something like that. Uh, I, thought they had the, I thought they had because they had the Olympics in 76 or something. Right? Yeah, like that, that, like that would have been for some people maybe too close to a, um, you know, if they had went with FC, right? They might, or yeah. like, some, to some people might have sound like it's the latest Royale Salt Lake or Sporting Kansas City. Right, right, but right, right, right. But obviously it would be far, far, far more legitimate. Um, so like, I, 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 or, I think if they've, if they had gone with Olympique or they've gone with one of the other historic names, like, you know, Man Manique or whatever, I, I think there would not be as much, uh, uproar as there is now. And the thing is that like we, uh, the other idea I had was the salami idea, uh, considering he owns Bologna in, uh, Italy or Go with his uh, branding and just call it fromage FC or something like that. Well, I thought yeah. that's what the CF stood for. I thought it was cheese yeah. fromage. Yeah, but it turns out it wasn't. So I mean that that was was quite a big disappointment. I, they're they're gonna be ridiculed a little bit, maybe for the name. Certainly not as much as for the the logo. Before we delve into that, let me just play a little bit of the audio from the introductory press conference where. Where they're explaining the name and why they decided to go down the snowflake route. I want to take a moment to address our fans and local supporters club. I understand how you feel. I love the impact. This is a club and a passion project that I started along with only three full-time employees 28 years ago. And it's hard to let go of things you love. But here's the reality. To make an impact, we need to retire the impact. On the name, uh, we, had a, we had a debate because soccer is the name, is what we call this sport in North America. And football, or football depending, is what we call the sport in Europe. Uh, and, and Thierry actually said this when at his press conference, he said, Montreal is a great city because it's the best of what North America has and the best of what Europe has. So why do we need to pick one or the other? In fact, we, we've always been different. We've been different for 375 years. Why do we change things now, right? We had a, um, some comments fly around when the rumor came out that we were going to uh, call this club Montreal Football Club. And leaving the language debate aside, it was always going to be a French name, but leaving that debate aside, people were saying, well, you're just going to be like everybody else, FC, FC, FC. And there are X number of MLS clubs that have the FC moniker attached to it. And that's exactly it. We, we didn't want to be the same. So instead of choosing, 
between football and soccer, it's common practice in Montreal for people in French to refer to the sport as foot. On va jouer au foot, on regarde le foot. And Anglophones sometimes often refer to it as footy. So let's assume that. Let's assume that as part of our name. Let's assume that we are different. We are a different city and province in this large continent. And let's assume our difference, like we have for, for hundreds of years. So that, that is the reasoning behind the name. And I know not everybody would be happy about it, but we're assuming our difference and it reflects in our name. If we keep going forward, we are like snowflakes in a storm. And I've seen criticisms. In fact, if you Google this word, you'll see in slang that being called a snowflake for some people is an insult. Well, I, go ahead. Insult us. Underestimate us. Underestimate our team and our coach. I invite you to. See a snowflake as a weak thing. Fine. What I'll tell you about a snowflake is that when we come together, we are all individuals. We are all different, and every single one of us is unique. But when we come together, we form that impenetrable wall. Good luck to you defeating our storm, our blizzard. I just have a question. You're saying that part of this rebranding is to make this team, you know, be like a big league club. But if you look around, uh, the two probably most popular MLS clubs around the world, LA Galaxy, New York Red Bull, obviously they can't change their name to FC because that's the other team that they have in the city. But what would you say to people who say those two clubs are very well known internationally and they don't have uh, FC or CF next to their name and didn't need to rebrand? Well, listen, I think, that, uh, I think that LA Galaxy's popularity globally comes from the fact that, you know, they've had the David Beckhams of the world, and I was there when it happened. I was actually with AEG. Years ago yesterday. Yeah, I was with AEG when we did that, uh, and that was to really take that brand take it globally. Um, so it's not a byproduct of the Galaxy name. It's a byproduct of what they did on the field, and I think Red Bull, you've got clubs all over the world that are named Red Bull, so it, it falls under a moniker of probably one of the most well-known brands in the world, which contributes to that. I think from our standpoint, Jessica, it's a, it's a question of, of, of doing two things. One, assuming that responsibility, but also, and this is, this is an aside almost, but you've got a lot of people here that are fans of, Man, their club is Man U or FC Barcelona. And I've, I've kept saying this, you know, we, we're not trying to tell those people or move them away from their club, but they have a team in Montreal. They have their club in their city. And part of this rebrand is that. Sports is an emotional connection, right? It really is. You don't connect with a club because it's a rational decision you make. You connect with a club because at some point in your life, most, time, most likely when you're very young, you get a connection with the club through a player, through the sport, through a t-shirt your aunt gives you, right? That's how you connect. The emotional connection we have with, our, with Impact fans is strong, but there are 2.1 million sports fans in this island, in this city. There are 1.8 million soccer fans. 1.3 of them watch soccer. Not all of them are fans of our club. I'm not, I'm not asking a Man U fan to give up on Man U, but what I'm telling him is this club represents your city. This is your club in your city. And, and maybe we're tapping into civic pride here. And if we are, great, we have to. Because it is our role to grow our fan base, not just here, throughout the province, but globally. And, and I think it's just a matter of time before we do it. Listen, we've got, we've got, we've, the, the fact that we brought in Olivier and Thierry isn't a coincidence, right? That gives us, that gives us visibility on a stage far greater than, than this city and this province. And this rebrand does that as well. If I, if I can just add one thing, uh, Jessica, in our 
in our work, we get inspiration from all kinds of clubs, and not just football clubs, uh, all kinds of sports, uh, speeches by leaders like Martin Luther King, who said, we have to learn to live together like brothers or else we'll die together like fools. These things resonate with us, but our, our work is to take what we have and find the best way to tell that story and to tell that product story. So it's not about, they did this, we're going to do it. That's actually a recipe, in my opinion, for failure because we all have strengths and weaknesses. So LA Galaxy builds its image based on what it perceives are its strengths. So does New York uh, Red Bull. So does Arsenal FC. Or We did it our way. And, and the key is actually not the CF or the FC, it's Montreal. And the simplest way for me to explain it is take a plane to another country and get off and say, I'm trying to sell you a product that's called Impact, and I'm trying to sell you a product that's called Montreal. I just think immediately with Montreal, with our global reputation, with our art scene, with who we are globally, that has a, a new level of relevance that allows us to achieve on the, the goals that are given to us by our, our leaders. I just wondered, um, with this whole rebrand, um, is there more of a kind of effort to win over European fans? Listen, I think that, that, that uh, our, our effort is to win over fans in general. There's no reason why if, if you've got Man U fans here, you can't have fans that have some emotional or uh, some emotional connection to Montreal the, that becomes a, you know, Montreal becomes their favorite Major League Soccer Club. Um, there's no reason why we can't be aspiring to do that, which we are doing. Um, obviously, we've got uh, significantly more awareness now because everything we've done. Uh, and tying our city name uh, and the story behind the brand to our identity, I think is important if we're going to do that. So there, there's a little bit of the explanation there as to why they've gone for a club to foot and why they have gone for a snowflake. Yes, let's talk about the crest. It was leaked on Wednesday night. And when it was leaked, I kind of thought, yeah, this is going to be a giant wind-up. That's really not going to be what it is. Because we've criticised teams before. When they come out with a, a crest, new teams, the, the common thing in North America is you slap a football on it. And it's not a bad thing not to have a football on it. But you have to at least have a crest that looks... If someone looked at it, we'd go, oh, that's for a football club. Club de foot Montreal and a snowflake, if somebody in, say, Germany was looking at that, I don't think they look at that and think of a football team. They do, they do not. My, we were talking about this in my East Fife WhatsApp group because I wanted to gauge some opinions from there. It was just ridiculed. Folk just was like, why is that a snowflake? I, even after listening to their explanation of, we want to go for a snowflake because we're all unique in Montreal, but when you put us together, we build a snow wall and create a blizzard, which I yeah, thought was okay. a whole Toronto thing. Exactly. That, like, there were so many bad things about that press conference. Like, you could tell that they had listened to the online criticism from the night before, mm. which did not help their presentation at all. Because they yeah, look so rushed. Expensive. They came off like so, like these. The whole thing, like we were, I think we were texting during or, or you know messaging during it. 
uh, whatever. It, these things are, they, they don't have to be as painful as that was. Like they can be joyful and enjoyable and whatever. Like this, I, I know everyone likes to tell us, you know, that they went with, the, they chose impact black. They didn't hit impact black so that they could say, they kept, they, you know, they, they kept. Sacra blue. Yeah, sacra blue. But like, come on, like, like it's, it was it was painful because, and this one more so than most, because they were so defensive, and they could see it was like they could see the holes in in their perspective, and they were just trying to. Well, of course they can. The snowflakes are full of holes. <laughs> yeah, true. And yeah, the whole snowflakes making a wall like that was just like that's. Yeah, I think I think they're, they're trying to. Not they snowflakes anymore when they're compressed into it. Yeah, they 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 jumped onto the Lord, uh, the Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, oh, prayer, I think. winter couple, is. Oh, they should have done yeah, the whole winter couple, is coming. Yeah, a couple years too late. Maybe they're just big Sting fans. Could be Sting fans. Could be Sting fans. Wait, what? What do you mean by Sting? Sting, the wrestler in AEW, his whole thing just now is it starts snowing when he comes on the stage. So either he's a big Montreal fan or Montreal's a big Sting fan. I, I'm not not too sure. As much as I didn't really like the name Montreal Impact, I liked the old crest. I thought it was a fantastic football crest. You mean the MLS one? Yeah. I didn't think it was amazing, but I didn't think it was horrible. If that's Which I think an MLS is maybe the best you can get. Let, oh, let, yeah. Let's just get a quick... Was Is the Montreal Impact new crest better or worse than Chicago Fire's attempt... And how many years do you think before we see a rebrand of the rebrand? Well, well, the thing to me, I view these as different because I like because just partly because I don't know the Chicago Fire people, right? Like I think like the Chicago Fire people, like I don't know the personalities involved. I don't know any of them. I've never met any of them. I've never seen any of them. Like what? Like I don't know these people, so it feels it feels really lazy and feels really bad with. with with the with the, like we know some of these people we know Joey a bit like we've talked to some of these people we know some of the people behind the scenes and like it it doesn't I mean not behind the scenes with this stuff with the football stuff but it it doesn't it doesn't seem like I don't know how this got through all the stages that something go you know you know when you're like you're planning an idea right like when you're planning an idea and and then you find out something about like I'll give you an example Curva Collective. We were choosing a name, and then we found out we were going to do we were going to do a combination of the German and the Italian, and have have it K U V R A, and then we found, and then we found out what that means in lots of places. Not only C U R V A is bad in some places, but K U R V A is bad in way more places. We're like, okay, we're sticking with the, the name because it has meaning in the cultures that we value, but we're going to steer clear of our original plan because of because of the, you know. Because we found out, you know, it would be offensive to more to, to certain group, larger amounts of people if we went another direction. It feels like it feels like they didn't like ask enough people, or like like I don't like I don't know. It, it feels it feels like they didn't they didn't put this through enough filters, if that makes sense, to like yeah, come out totally. with something meaningful. Because I believe they want to be like I believe Joey Saputo, like. I, oh I, yeah! I don't necessarily like like I don't like like him as you know the the, the owner of a, a football club I don't like, but like I think he wants football to succeed in Montreal, and I think he cares about that. And I just this doesn't line up with 
how he's approached other things no, in the past. But he he wants them to be big players, not just in North America, but worldwide. That's why you appoint a guy like Thierry Henry, because right away your stock worldwide is raised and the interest level in your team is massive. So you then try and capitalize on that by doing a rebrand. The, the Chicago Fire one it looked like an old Space Invader thing to me. I thought it was absolutely terrible. I uh, think this is cleaner than the Chicago Fire one. Yeah. Not, none of them screamed football to me, though. But the thing is that both of them had things where there was no need to change. You could have altered, but to do such a drastic change was unnecessary. The Chicago one had, the old one had like the idea of it being part of a Chicago fire department or something. It had that kind of sense to it. The way you compare their logo to the actual fire department, it had that sense. And that could be, the new one looked like they were embracing the fire. They, they abandoned the fire department and embraced fire instead. Like, yeah, let's go for the fire. Forget the fire department that are fighting it. Um, and, and it's the same thing with the Montreal one. You had the fleur de lis so prominently. And what says Quebec more than that? Yeah. Like that should be like your put something around that. What what do snowflakes have to do with Quebec? I know it's like nothing. Oh, it's cold in Quebec. It's cold everywhere. Yeah. Like 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 even Vancouver's one, the new one they had. Vancouver's one, it had some meaning, even though again it was it was not that great, but it had meaning because you're representing the peaks and the the sea and everything, and that's that has meaning to it. These ones, uh, like the right now, compared to these ones, the Arbutus uh, like idea and everything like that, those kind of ideas are way better than this oh, kind. Yeah, even the Iron Workers one is better than what they came up with here with the snowflake. Uh, yeah, let's not talk about. Uh, well, I'm saying it's better than this. No, it is. Then, oh, we look how much we criticized that back in the day. The snowflake, okay, yeah, everywhere's cold. That's not a big deal. But th- I think the connection. This is where they were trying to tie into the whole Olympic idea of hey, this is this is from this and this guy. My understanding is the guy who did that logo has done a bunch of, I think, snowflake like logos or so or something. <laughs> he wasn't the guy who did that, but he's a snowflake expert. <laughs> and then and then that it's kind of so it's kind of iconic, but. I mean, if again, it might be iconic sort of locally, but it if you're if the whole intent is worldwide, it was a it's a big well, look, look at the I, connotation I, I, snowflake has in modern terminology. It does, it does, but then also with the logo itself, it's got arrows pointing to the center of it. I don't get that at all. Yeah, that that's like what are you going for? That's to encourage other supporters to take the metro. <laughs> I, I, I do. And that's it the metro look like that, yeah. It's also crazy. There's so many things about. I mean, you got the cat's butt, you got the snowflake. Did you? And it's and it appears like this is such a very too. This is like a too common symbol. You've seen people like message or you know on Twitter sharing similar logos, right? Like you saw Johnny Monster. Oh yeah, the city of Burnaby logo, which is almost identical. It's certainly not unique, which is ironic because a snowflake's meant to be. Just to finish on a kind of serious note, and I was going to ask this during the Q&A, but I was brought up, if you've nothing good to say, don't say anything. I didn't really have anything good to say. Also, I'd lost interest, I think, by that point. And one of my favourite bits of the whole Q&A, I don't think this was broadcast anywhere, so folk probably won't even know this. So it's a rebranding event. And there's all this talk of the rebranding. 
and there's all the questions about why, blah, blah, blah. And then Herb from the Montreal Gazette gets picked to ask a question. He's like, okay, well, enough of this. I want to ask a soccer question now. Thierry, how's your squad looking for the season to come? And Thierry's not even there to answer questions. He's like back in London. And then they had to somehow get his 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 Zoom thing up uh, so that he could answer the question. It was, I just find that really funny. Interestingly, though, Henri is back in London just now. And considering there's two weeks quarantine, that's another indication that the season, pre-season, is not going to be starting in a couple of weeks' time. But well, like he should well, he wasn't part of the uh presentation? No, he was just back in London watching it. That's he was odd. on the wall by me. He was too along from me on the wall. Uh, oh, okay. I, I was special. I was on Thierry Henry's row. But like to finish on the series thing I was gonna make, my worry for this is that their history gets lost. You think of all the battles that they had with Vancouver, hate them or loathe them back in the USL days. You look back at that time, and it, it, it's history. They yeah. made history in the Champions League. They had the best run of a Canadian team, the first run of a Canadian team. They've won those championships, DeSantis's legacy, all that kind of stuff. In years to come, there's going to be people that don't equate the club foots of Montreal to the impact. And I do feel that their history might kind of disappear a little bit. No, it's true. I, I, here's the thing. I think, um, I think locally, though, Michael, I think the most uh, – they have these new groups in Montreal who I don't have a pulse uh, as much of a pulse on, but I think the, old, the older guard that's still in Montreal and that still uh, supports the impact are just going to keep calling them the impact. They're, hmm. th- those are the people who are going to carry that, that tradition forward. You'll see it in displays. You'll see it in banners. You'll, you'll probably see it in some anger at first when people are allowed to go to games. If, if, if they're true to form but um yeah i think on that level i'm not i'm not super worried about it but right when it, but you're right in terms of the casual more casual kind of person like that it it will it will get lost you know i don't know how long it's going to take to get lost but i think it, i think it definitely yeah. will I, I just don't think folk will see it as the same team steve yeah you lose a little bit of a history that when you make a change like this like when you that's where um, like the Whitecaps have tinkered around with the name and everything, but they've kept the core of the name. They even like changed colors here and there with the kits, uh, but they kept the name. I, I, I do agree that the impact probably did need a rebound. Maybe the white impact really didn't have, honestly, it didn't have an impact in their name. They did need to, they did need to change it a little bit, especially if you want it to be more international, but this didn't do it for me. It just yeah. wasn't the name would, would have been fine if it was, Maybe if the logo was better, the name would have been popped a little bit more. But there definitely is something lacking in that logo. The logo part of it is the worst. Yeah, I think you're right there. Like that, yeah, the name would have maybe had a bigger impact. No pun intended. Uh, if the logo had been better, but now everyone's just focusing on that. I don't know what a CF you could say. And I think if any club was going to have CF in front of them, you would have put money on the Whitecaps. But turns out not. One last thing, the Montreal Manique name, as Zach called it, I just called him Montreal Manic. Is it actually Manique? I don't know. But anyway, the Montreal Manic name, it is back. And it's an academy in Montreal that has a tie-in with Glasgow Rangers. Um, they've been doing lots of promotional stuff. They're giving away Manic jerseys and 
um, tweeting lots of stuff from the past. So I think that's very interesting that that's come out at this time as well. Who knows? Maybe that could be the, the CPL team down the line in Montreal. That'd be interesting. Anyway, enough of our Montreal talk. We're going to turn our attention to the other Canadian team making news this week, and that is Toronto FC. They've got a new head coach. We'll be chatting about that after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Carlini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show. No, Jay, you're just a mind that's praying and praying on walls. And the after effects are making my skin crawl. You're just a mind that's saying and playing so dull. And the after effects are making my skin crawl. I've been all choked into a pool of inaction. It's all commercial game to point the seeds of destruction. It's all a tie of meeting in the MOR board. Subjects for political score The kudos makes it float on top where he stays And the sequence of not being that close to his face And just not constantly ideas Cause it's all you can do Your car ain't got no brakes It's just laughing at you Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's another new song from a band that has another new album coming out. This time though, it's our current Artist of the Month, English band Sleaford Mods, whose new album Spare Ribs came out on Friday, and that is a song from it called Nudge It. Great band, we've got a couple more tracks of them to come this month. In this part, though, getting back to the football chat, we're going to be chatting a little bit about TFC. They've appointed a new head coach. Greg Vanny had moved on. A lot of speculation as to who the new head coach was going to be. Was it going to be a big name from overseas? Was it going to be somebody with MLS experience? Would they appoint from within? Jason Bent was a, a guy that his name was in the frame from being within. He didn't get the job and has now actually moved to LA to be with Greg Vanny, probably holding fire, maybe expecting that he was going to get the job in TFC. They didn't really go for a big name coach either, but they have gone for a guy with MLS experience. Maybe not highly successful experience as a head coach. 48-year-old Chris Armis is the guy that got the job. 12 seasons in MLS as a player. Ten of them with the Chicago Fire. He was promoted to be the head coach of New York Red Bulls in July 2018 when Jesse Marsh headed over to Europe with Leipzig. He was sacked, though, just over two years later, September 2020, with a less than, than glowing record and the, the team in a, a bad run of form. Bit of a, a surprising appointment. I didn't see this, this one coming. What about you guys? Yeah, I thought they would go with a bigger splash um, uh, to attract, you know, bigger players and everything like that for down the road. So it did surprise me a little bit, but I guess they went with who they, they, they did the interviews, they did the work like that. I don't know if there's a connection between the general manager and the coach or not. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, Ali Curtis the, and him apparently go 
we bought. Well, there you go. Then that's the, 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 there's the connection right there. So that probably helped them a lot. Um, I thought that I, I remember, I think it was maybe just one time, maybe two uh, interviewing. He seemed like a fairly sensible person, knew what he was talking about. So he seemed fairly intelligent. Sometimes it just doesn't work out in your first position, especially sure. considered he's, he, he just came on in July, halfway through that first season. And then really he only had one full year. Yeah. Um, and the Red Bulls were kind of lacking at that time too. They even Jesse Marsh really couldn't get them back on track uh, from when when, early, when uh, like the mid uh, uh, tens or whatever teens. Did he hold on to get the 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 supporter shield that Marsh had in this first half year? I can't remember. I can't remember. They finished sixth one of the seasons. That might have been twenty nineteen though. Yeah, that that would be the only one. Yeah. Yeah, he he is a guy who played most of his career. Is it, was it Chicago? Yeah, ten, ten seasons at Chicago. Yeah, was, he, he played in the U.S. national. That's how I got to know him. Playing in the U.S. national team. Yeah, um, defensive he, midfielder. Yeah. So yeah, this is not. Uh, I don't. This is not as you guys have said. This is not a, a super inspiring hire by Toronto FC, and 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 I think you can say that because of a number of factors. Um. There's what you guys have already said. His he, limited experience, his record is not nothing to write home about. He's not a super experienced coach. Now, mind you, neither was Vanny when he uh, got promoted uh, from within. But um, the other things that kind of stand out to me are uh, that are a concern is, I mean, I don't have a lot of personally. I don't have a lot of faith in um, in Ali Curtis. I don't know him. I don't know. Much, I don't know that much about him. Only what I've observed from his time at Dead Bull. And yeah, there's probably a little bit of the Dead Bull scent on him for, for me personally. And same with Armas. But um, more so, I just remember him coming in, and he didn't he wasn't he the guy who wrote like some crazy long document, like a huge manifesto or a huge manual or something for the path forward at Dead Bull. And then it was like then all of a sudden Jesse Marsh was was leaving to go go to be assistant coach in Leipzig and and. I, I just didn't, I don't know. I just didn't think his time at Dead Bull was that great. And I don't think some of the people at Dead Bull, the supporters anyways, felt that way either. But so it feels like if you're a Toronto FC supporter, this doesn't feel good. It feels like someone, Curtis has brought in one of his people who is going to allow him to continue to have kind of the bigger control over the makeup of the squad. And, and Armis is simply going to be responsible for uh, the coaching, which again, I don't, I would not be super excited about that if I was uh, a, tr- a Toronto supporter. The other thing that's also concerning for me in this is now every hi- you know every hiring process or you know whether it's a coach or a player or any any position within the organ- in your organization, um, uh, you uh, you have a list. You know you have ideals. You have people you whatever. You have people you'd like to try and interview or you, you you would hope want to be a part of your organization, all that kind of stuff, aspirational kind oh. of stuff. So now, of course, they were, it was, there were, it was reported or uh, I, I don't know if it was, if it was confirmed on, on both of these accounts. I know it was on one, but um, they supposedly they entered Laurent Blanc and he took a, was it a, a Middle East job or a job somewhere else in the world anyways. And then they they were, their next target was Patrick Vieira, and mm. Patrick Vieira said, "No, I want to stay. In, I want to stay in Europe." Is my understanding? Yeah, and- yeah, because that was hilarious. Because on the same day, you had people saying, "Sources have told me Vieira's got the job," 
And then yeah. fo- sources have told me Vieira's definitely not got the job. Yeah. It's like someone's sources are shit. A little he said, she said sort of kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so it feels like in, in addition to Armas not being like an exciting choice, you're on top of that. You know that you didn't get your your first two choices. So there's a like a that sounds of, familiar. Yeah. Well, I'm going to come to that in a moment. There, there's a feeling of disappointment. I think with that, no matter what. Then I think of our own experience here in Vancouver and and how that went after Martin Rennie was his contract was not renewed, and there was this you know Leonard Doozy having dinner with Bob Bradley and stuff. And Bob Bradley was never going to take the job here, uh, but you know. But he had dinner with Bobby Leonard Usain. They wanted to bring him in, and that didn't work out. I forget who else was on the list or whatever. And all the people, you know, uh, Jason Christ or maybe Jason Christ wasn't on the list. That was just the I chat. know Robin Fraser was, but at that point, Robin Fraser seemed to be on every single list of anyone. And um, Gary Smith as well was another one that was on the list. Yeah, but th- there was something held sort of against Carl Robinson when he came in. Because people kept on, at least at different stages, in the early stages especially, they kept on coming back to this, well, he wasn't the first choice. Yeah. Well, he wasn't the first choice. And I think that that can be a really unhealthy thing that hangs over you. And I think it's likely that that will hang over Chris Armerson in Toronto. And he fe- and, and, and all of that goes to make this feel like a, a short-term stopgap like rebound, right? You know, there's that whole back in the day when people used to date and whatever thing. Whereas, like, you break up with someone and you you just start dating someone else on the on the rebound, and it doesn't matter how maybe how how super interested you are in them. I don't know if that exists in the world anymore. Um, but, I'm sure it does. But but I that, don't think anyone's allowed to touch anyone anymore. So there's, there's that. <laughs> but um, it, it doesn't so, feel like a good good choice. So the Qatar club that Laurent Blanc uh, coaches for is Al Ryan, and Ali Curtis wrote the 300 page plan. That's what the title of it. Three hundred page plan. For it's, yeah, it's available. It's available on Reddit, apparently. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't. If you have trouble think sleeping, add that to my list. Yeah. Yeah. If you have trouble sleeping tonight, just try and read that. I can maybe get a word with Ali. See if he can do a, a reading for the Cam app as a sleep story. It might be able to help people. I can get my wife to listen to it and then tell me exactly what it said. She can subconsciously take all the information in. But it seems a safe hire. And it strikes you as a guy that's not going to rock the boat. Vanny was rumoured to be wanting a greater say over shaping the roster. The The equal rumours are that Armis is not going to be the kind of guy that, that does that. But, I mean, he said a lot of good stuff at his introductory press conference. I was actually very, very impressed by, by what he said and how he came across in that. He's moving to a difficult market. As, as he was introduced as being their, TFC's 10th head coach, I think it is, in 15 seasons. But I think, I can't remember if it was Bill Manning or Ali Car- Curtis that said it, but I think it was Bill Manning who said, I know that doesn't sound good, 10 and 15 seasons, but remember, Greg Vanny's been here since 2014. But basically, you've just admitted that before that, your team was a, a, another CF to, to go yeah, back to, it, to Montreal. But you have to, like at that point, when you have... Like somebody like Greg Vanny coming in, he's there for six years. You have to basically restart from scratch when you say a number of coaches in a number of years is stupid to bring it up. Even yeah, I, uh, for me, for I me, it's a dumb question. At all. Yeah, it's a dumb question. Like if if it's a it's a constant thing, 
then you could like if the Santos goes, then you could say that like oh yeah. But when a guy's been there for six years, he's won an MLS Cup and other things too. You don't bring it up anymore. That you don't. There's not a coaching issue at this point. There could be down the road, but not at this point. Well, yeah. And I mean, the, Vanny turned things around, steadied the ship, took him a little bit to, to get going, and then he turned TFC into a powerhouse in MLS. Again, hate them or loathe them, they are a good MLS team. And like Seattle, Vanny has built a solid base for them. So Armis is coming in with a good squad of players that fell short in a weird year where they weren't playing in the country. I'm just going to play a, a little bit of audio. It was Bill Manning, the president, Ali Curtis, and Chris Armis. And I'll mostly just play uh, some of the stuff that, that Chris Armis said in his, his introductory press conference. But yeah, I, I, I was impressed by him. He, here's some of what he had to say. From the bottom of my heart, you know, me, my, my wife, Justine, and my boys, we are, we are not only grateful, but we're honored. Um, there, there's a real responsibility, I, I know, but, you know, for this opportunity to be the next uh, TFC head coach, um, uh, excited as well. Um, you know, what I would say is from the outside in all these previous years, I only had a glimpse, um, you know, when we were to visit uh, BMO Field, when we would come, come to town, you could only get a sense of, of what things were like there. But what you knew uh, for sure, because we, 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 we hear things, we, we know what's going on, not just that the, the field was perfectly cut and watered the way they wanted, not only uh, do you hear good things happening on the inside, you knew that the team was good. That stuff was easy for me to see. But in these last weeks, um, that's what really excited me. Of course, I can't wait, wait to get started with the team. But when you start having these internal conversations with um, Ali Curtis and Bill Manning at first, and yes, we talked about the game and we talk about football and we talk about uh, so many things, uh, you know, to exhaustion. And, um, you know, uh, then you start seeing, whoa, th this is really a special place. The, the things they're emphasizing, the questions they're asking, it, it went much deeper than just the, the tactics. Um, and, and it became about the people. And I'll tell you what, the, the last part of it was when I was able to meet with Larry Tannenbaum. And he gave me over an hour of his time and to talk about dogs, his life, talk about the game, talk about leadership, talk about what, what we cared about. That, you know, you hang up that Zoom call and you say, if, if I only have the opportunity to, to work for him, to, to work hard, to deliver a trophy and hand it over to him and Ali and Bill, this would be a dream come true. So for, 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 the, for the team, the standards of excellence, the people, uh, I'm experiencing that already, that what a, what a, what an opportunity, and it's an understatement when I say I'm excited to get going, but I am, and uh, also to get, get to know all of you a little bit better. Just following on on what you said, um, obviously you're just starting in the job here, but given your ties with Ali and Bill and the conversations you have, do you feel already that this is a good fit, that you're on the same page? For sure. I, I, 
you know, I've been through some experiences in, in my professional life and, and from a, a player level to a coaching level. And I've seen top organizations uh, work. And right away, you can see that there's a, a real support, there's resources, there's, there's intelligence and, and uh, strategy to what goes on with, with Bill and Ali. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they've made it clear that their job is to support the head coach. They clearly support the team. They are in this together with the head coach. Um, and yes, for that, especially for that, I feel ready for the opportunity to, to work for these guys and, and to work with, with them. You know, in terms of style, in terms of game model, what's your vision for this group? And, uh, you know, Red Bull were pretty famous for their high press. And Ali mentioned uh, accelerating the tempo a little bit. So what's your, what's your image for how you want this team to play? Yeah, James, good question. You know, I, I think the first thing to say is before any X's and O's and what we want to do with the ball and against the ball, it's important to know how I, I just see the game and and it's with energy it starts with energy and passion and i and and it's it's if you watch a uh alejandro <clears throat> azuelo or a michael they play to win and i understand that so it's it's it becomes a, a way of working it's a way of playing it's a way of living so it's it starts with the energy because now in a team I've seen what that can look like where it starts transferring player to player, player to coach, coach to player. And, and within the, it starts. Now you can maybe start thinking about how to put that on the field. The supporters start to feel that they can relate to that in a way it becomes uh, again, without the soccer yet an identity of that team is on the front foot. That team plays together. That team never gives in. And, and, I, and I truly believe that, that because of that energy, other teams feel it. And they, wanna, they, they, they wonder, how can that team operate like that? How, how many guys did I have on the field type of thing? So the first part, there is an energy that I see to the game. And now when you think about uh, how goals are scored and, and understanding that so many goals come from transition, how can you create a game model? How can you create a... Uh, a philosophy that that leads to that. So then you start talking about with the ball. So we start trying to play forward and, and, and with some tempo and making the game fast. And of course, there's little things in there. Of course, the principles of playing between lines and some overloads some plus ones. And there's all of that that goes into it. But I, I do see the game in possession, making the game fast, playing vertical, um, and now, of course, with this roster, with real intelligence and decision-making and some pause at times, but uh, thinking about the verticality uh, also leads to, to counter-pressing and you start developing this rhythm. Uh, on the flip side, uh, you know, when you don't have the ball, I, 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 it's all about, for me, uh, taking time and space away and controlling spaces. The easy one is, is high-pressing, but... Um, I've learned in my time and evolved that, you know, teams are bypassing the high press. So how can you become really good at a mid block or sitting a little bit deeper and controlling spaces, but still the idea of, of controlling spaces, taking time and space away. So it's pressing, it's, it's compressing spaces, all with the idea of winning the ball and, and attacking again. So I'd say it's, it's about making the game fast and it's about attacking football, attacking when we have the ball, attacking the opposition when we don't have the ball. And the last part of that, that almost, because what I just talked about 
quite honestly, means nothing unless there's a team that sticks together, that runs for each other, that's willing to work. It's not about how much you can run, but it's about intelligent working, but a team that's committed, a committed, and, and, and that's in training and it's in game, it's off the field. And I know what that looks like. I've experienced it as a player. I've experienced it as a coach. I've seen that the best coaches uh, I've played for them. I understand what that looks like. Uh, and that's an everyday thing. And it's not an easy thing, but it's, it's, the, it's a winning thing. It's a mentality um, that I can't wait to inject into the, into the uh, TFC team. Obviously, particularly in Europe in the last few years, we've seen some, some big clubs with some succession plans that haven't worked out. I'd just love to know your thoughts on, on the pressure and, uh, of succeeding the, the most successful coach in, uh, in TFC history. My wife is an OR nurse, and, and when she comes home every, every time she goes to work, I, I can talk about the pressure, you know, pressure of, of what she has seen in, the, in this last year and, and just in general um, life. You know, I'm, I'm a... I'm in some, some, uh, I'm not a young guy, you know, I've been around and I've experienced life. And, and when I think about the game, it's, it's when I'm, it's when I'm most alive and on the field, uh, competing. So when you think about the work that's been done, this, uh, and, and, and shoes to fill and, and expectations and standards. And if we keep talking like this, you'd understand that that's exactly where a guy like me wants to be. Um, so if I have a chance to go to a club that has ambitions, has resources, has top players, has supporters that understand the game, that show up every game, that 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 uh, are behind the team, an organization that that cares about people, ownership that are the most humble people you've ever ever met. Um, so all you keep going like this, and that's exactly where I think real competitors want to be, and that's that's what. It's one of the biggest reasons I came to the club. So, yes, I want to win. Pressures to win. Um, this will wake me up early and it'll put me to bed late and, uh, and then I'll sleep well. But I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard to deliver excellence, trophies. And I can guarantee that I'll, I will coach a team that is clear. They're clear with roles. We are together. Uh, we don't cut corners and we, we have a style of play that is on the front foot and we go after every game. And that I can talk proudly of the work that I've been part of because that was the case and that will be the case. So I, uh, I love Greg Vanny, me and him go back way back. Um, and, 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 and Dan Kalishman, Robin Frazier, Jim listen, the whole, so it's an honor again and a privilege to, to follow their footsteps uh, and to add to it, just to add to it. I am coming here to add to the excellence uh, and to keep it at a high level. But this does not uh, scare me. This excites me, let me tell you. And all competitors, I think, would, would, would feel the same. Obviously, you're coming to the club at a very different time to normal. There's a lot of unknowns as to what might happen where the team might be playing. Did you have discussions with your wife about... The, the stresses and the strains that that might be if you find out that you're not going to be in Toronto? Do you expect your family to make the move to Toronto right away? Or are you maybe going to wait and see how the, the season plays out? Yeah, th this was discussed um, even with, with Bill, Larry and Ali and the club because they, they were so concerned about my family, right? And, and so concerned that us sticking together would be a, an important thing. And 
So they helped me talk through some of that initially and get the talks going, even me and my wife, Justine, and my boys. But listen, I do think uh, there are some restrictions right now and, and just with, with COVID and, and what's going on and that it's, it's, you know, the time that we're in that there's going to be a continued new normal and, and the situation will have to be fluid. Me and my wife and family have discussed that and it's, we know that what we do, uh, we take on an experience and we do it together. And together might mean we're not physically together at that moment, but the plan is that we will be together. Uh, one of my sons is in college, so he will stay in New York, but um, we are a, a close-knit family. Um, and, uh, you know, again, having, having my family part of my experiences and, and then me understanding that's not all about me. It's still me being with my wife and my 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 kids is really important so we will we will make it work however we can make it work um but as someone said earlier it's just a, a big picture and a longer haul so uh they they they're getting really excited about about uh learning more about toronto and, and getting entrenched over there So a little bit there from new TFC head coach Chris Armis. He is coming in to a demanding market now because the media there, if he doesn't have instant success, I worry that they're going to turn on him a little bit, that he's going to have the yes man stuff thrown out at him, that they're going to say, why did you not bring in a guy with a proven winning track record in MLS or, or elsewhere, all that kind of stuff. And those are all valid concerns to raise. But some of the players that have tweeted saying that they, they've spoken to, to Armis now, they've loved what he said, they're excited for the season. I know part of it is players are always going to say that and back the new coach, but he does seem to be a player's coach. He does remind me a lot of Carl Robinson in the way that he deals with the players and he's going to be kind of a player's coach and a kind of arm around the, the players kind of guy. But the pressure's on him to hit the ground running and, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see whether that, that happens. Yeah, like like I said, a couple times I've talked to him after games, uh, maybe once or twice. He seemed like a guy who knew what he was talking about. Um, he did. He never threw his players under the bus, it seemed like. Um, um, he was very diplomatic that way. So I think initially, for sure, the players will have his back. It's just a matter of how we organize. Because this team is, for the most part, has a lot of players that can play in that starting 11. They're very deep. So it's a matter of player management and how he gets everybody the right time. And he's talked up wanting to bring on the young guys and take a, a really keen role in development. So, I mean, that that's that's great to hear as well. Still don't know when his first game is going to be because it should be this Canadian Championship final against Forge and right now nobody has any idea if that can get played, where it can get played, will it be in Canada, will they, both teams have to go to the US for it? Are there are there any uh, updates on uh, the CONCACAF uh, Champions League stuff or is that also... Again, quite up in the air. It's still meant to be starting in February. Yeah, I, I I I thought it was supposed to start in February. I just hadn't heard if they had like. If... Yeah, I mean, right now that still has to start in February. So if that starts in February, they have to get this game played before that. 
which again shows the stupidity of not trying to get it played last year and just get the game played. Oh, without a question, yeah. Not having it played in 2020 was unfortunate, uh, especially when you look at how they got in so many other games. I think they they were hoping, I think, that Forge got through one way so they could just say to Toronto, okay, well, you're through as well. And what happens if their majeure gets forced? Mm -hmm. No no one likes that, I tell you. Anyway, last little bit of MLS talk I just want to do, and then we'll move on to some Canadian stuff in the final part. It is the draft coming up on Thursday. There's no point us trying to do a draft preview. You no, can but if you it, want, Steve. You're, you're pretty good at these, I'm, and I know I'm you just, enjoy it. Like, like essentially, they are, either they tr- translate this money into GAM or TAM, if anybody wants it, or they bring in a couple of... Um, I don't know if there's any Canadians available. Like you'll well, talk about. Funny that. you in, should in say the, that. Well, yes. in the first round, I don't know because they got two picks in the first round, ninth and I think the pick twenty third. I want to see. Yeah, so twenty third might be, but the ninth pick, I don't think the Canadians are going to be that high up. No. So it's just a matter of making sure you don't pick an international because an international is not a guaranteed thing on the roster, and you don't want to waste an international on a draft pick. Personally, I wouldn't. And you, uh, or you, yeah. And you, so you draft a young American that can you yeah. can potentially develop in the, at the ninth spot and be a little bit more, um, you know. Either you get like a, a, essentially either it's a defensive player or somebody on the wings because you don't want a central midfielder who you, you that's where you want to spend your money. You don't want to get somebody on the cheap for that, and you don't want a striker from the draft because if you were a striker in the college. You wouldn't be in college. If you were a prolific striker, you'd be on an MLS team somewhere. Well, for me, I would look positionally. I know it's always you want to pick the best player that's available. We need some right-back cover. So if there is a top right-back prospect in that draft, you snap him up if you can. And if you have to move up higher to get him, I would do that as well. If if we're not looking at bringing anyone in, I mean, go for that. The other one, of course, is centre-back, where that seems to be one of the biggest successes. Let's just hope for no more speedy wingers. I think we've had enough of those. (laughs) But, Canadian-wise, three SFU players will be eligible for the draft. I think there's 176 players eligible altogether. And there's three SFU guys, all guys that have come through the Whitecaps Academy. You've got the Polizzi brothers, Matteo and Marcello. And you've got Chris Guerrero as well, who can play left back and right back. So all of them came through the Whitecats Academy, different amounts of time they spent in it. For me, Matteo Polizzi has a shot. And I think if one of them's going to get picked, it's going to be Matteo. He scores goals. And I know it's just NCAA Division Two level, but that's going to impress some teams. I'd love to see him get a look somewhere. I don't know that the Whitecaps will take any of them, but I, I could see Mateo definitely getting picked. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Michael, and I hope I hope he does. So, yeah, let's see what happens in the draft. We'll be chatting about that in next week's show. We'll have some audio from whoever the Whitecaps do select in it. Hopefully it's someone exciting. But we will be back with some Canadian football chat just to round up this week's show after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Don't push your luck, they've got no outlet for ridicule. 
Can't laugh it off, can't break the rules Unless the joke's on us Higher up the hierarchy, all is blank Something stupid made from something serious They couldn't stop themselves if they once tried But we're the ones hung out to dry Now some throw away our self-deprecating Laundry-based conundrum On a Thursday, here I am 45 reps per month, once in a lifetime A slowdown but still alive At least for now, must be getting light Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio. And kicking off this part, it's the song we teased and talked about back in our Christmas special. It's the new single from English band Luxembourg that features David Burnett on guitar, him of Anyone Fancy a Chocolate Digestive fame. That was 45, not about the 45th President of the United States, but... It's very fitting, I guess, to play it this week anyway. So for this final part of tonight's show, we're going to be turning our attention to a smorgasbord of Canadian soccer chat, affecting the national team, the CPL, and just a few other things as well. It's just going to be a, a, a quick part, this one. The men's team are down in Florida in a camp from the 9th to the 24th of January as they prepare for the World Cup qualifiers and also the Olympic qualifiers in March, because, stunningly to me, the Olympic qualifiers in March are going ahead. It's going to be in a kind of bubble environment in Guadalajara in Mexico. Eight countries will be taking part, including Canada. Chance to to take part in the Olympics if that goes ahead. And... I don't know if you know the guy from the IOC. To me, he has one of the best names in sport. Dick Pound. Dick, Dick Pound, yeah. Yep. Dick Pound has raised his suggestions that he doesn't think the Olympics are going to go ahead this year. I personally will be stunned if, if they if they do. No, I, I, think, I, I, think he, I think he's wrong. I think they are going to go ahead, honestly. I think you they're going to... Yes, I think they're going to push ahead. Uh, try to figure out any way they can do it, with, uh, even if they have to do it without fans. Because, again, remember, while they get money with people coming in, the more majority of their money is from TV deals. And they, they don't want to give that up. And I think they will push forward and get this Olympics in, no matter how they do it. Whether it's a big bubble in Japan where they don't let anybody into the country except athletes or something like that. But they're going to do something. I, I have a feeling it will go through. They had a poll in Japan and the overwhelming majority of people in the country didn't want the Olympics to go ahead. Yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> but I mean, here's my idea, Zach. You only let people take part in the Olympics if they've had the vaccine. So right now, that's probably going to be the over 70s. So I say we get Carol Valentine and Bobby Lenarduzzi out of retirement to represent Canada and we have a walking football 
in the the Olympics instead. Would you be all for that? Well, Carl has a new knee, right? Oh, so it's like a kind of bionic. Will that pass the test? I don't know. Yeah, it, it, this is all kind of unfortunate, obviously. Um, I, if it happens, I hope Canada qualifies. I hope that, like I've said many times in the past, I hope that Canada would put their best possible players into this to value this. To I, I think that you can't undervalue and underestimate the value of what doing well at a, a competition like this can 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 do. You've seen it in this country with the women's game. You um, you I mean maybe this is more for those in the know, but like some of us know the guys from '84, right? Uh, the Canadian team in '84, right? Who lost to was it Brazil in a shootout or whatever, um, or lost to Brazil, right? They went out to Brazil, um, but anyways, they had a good run. Yeah, I think they like if you can if you can get the Alfonso Davies of the world released, if you can um, get John, yeah. Jonathan David out of Lil and maybe inform. None of that's going to happen during a pandemic. It's like there's no way they're going to get released for these okay. qualifiers for one I'm, thing. I'm speaking in ideals here, Michael. Yeah, if I you know. can do that stuff, you need to make it happen. We have this exciting young crop of players. And what better to increase their enthusiasm for our country and representing it football-wise than to qualify for the Olympics and then do some damage at the Olympics? Like, I, I Damage I, like Dick Pound would do. Oh, my. And the yeah. thing is, the, the run in 84 did help them because it obviously ran, it yes. kind of spurred them on to 86 then at that point. So you need that kind of stuff. You need those small victories in order yeah. to propel them into bigger ones. And just we, we've talked about this a lot in the past about how we felt there was missed opportunities for the Whitecaps in not putting, you know, they, not allowing their best age eligible players play in some of those yeah. tournaments, specifically finals, uh, that – uh, arguably meant that they didn't win those. Yeah, it would be good. My my worry for the qualifiers, though, is who is able to go for Canada because I don't think you're going to have any of the, the European guys re- released with quarantines and, and everything well, like that as well. I but... think there was a thing that the, they mentioned at the camp. There's a couple of players from England that weren't going to be coming to the camp. because they Yeah, were, they weren't able so, to. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's going to happen that way. But I, I like I said, I have a feeling... Come high and high water, they will have this Olympics going on in Japan. We'll wait and see. Now, we talked, obviously, about Olympic success on the women's side, and a player that was a big part of that was Rianne Wilkinson. She had been in charge on the youth side of the women's team of Canada. She stepped down just in the, the last couple of days. And by the signs of it, it like she was in the running to, to take over the, the head coach of the the women's main national team, but by all accounts, it was felt that she didn't have the right experience as a coach yet to, to be ready for the job. And I, I do think that was probably the, the correct decision. But it looks like she stepped back from the youth side to try and get that experience. So it looks like she's probably going to go and try and be a club coach somewhere. So I wish her all the very best. You know how much we love speaking to, to Rihanna on the show. But were you surprised that, that she stepped back? Um. No, it's very similar to the situation where um, with that TFC assistant coach, I can't remember. Uh, Jason, ben? Jason Ben. Yeah, Jason Ben. Like when you're when you go for a position and you don't get it, you kind of feel a little uncomfortable 
being in that spot. She probably she probably knew that there there was there was a chance she wasn't gonna get it, but you still feel that you know that maybe you're not you need to move somewhere else in order to get that experience and come back and possibly do it again. So I I, I agree with her. This actually I agree with her decision to step back and look for something else in order to build that resume up. Um, now Bev Priestman didn't have as that much more experience than what we had no. Robinson had. Um, she's been basically, she was doing the under Canada twenties is 17 since uh, uh, 2013 and then moved on in 2018 to England under 17. So it's not like she has a wealth of experience too, but obviously something in the interview, um, they saw something there and they decided to give it to her instead of Rianne. Um, and that's yeah. fine. And the thing is also Rianne has played with, a lot of these players that are still on the team. So maybe you, maybe as like a, whoever's doing the hiring has a little bit of apprehension that uh, do we need somebody from the outside or can we keep somebody like Rianne Wilkinson as an assistant coach would be perfect because she, like I said, she has a relationship with these players. And so she could be that go between the coach. But when you're the head coach with, with people you played before, uh, how, how, how much is she going to be able to grab the attention of those veterans? And that's what you're worried about there. Yeah, those are all I think fair and valid opinions. Uh, I, yeah, I hope I would, like you, like you, Michael and Stephen. I, you know, I wish her well. Um, she's a yeah, quality, quality person uh, and a great servant of the national team and the national programs. And um, yeah, I hope she's able to to go out and get uh, continue her coaching career, get experience, and I, I, no one would be surprised if down the road she was. Um, back with the Canadian uh, national teams in uh, in a different capacity, in a, a quote-unquote higher-up capacity. Yeah, I think that's the ultimate goal, she kind of said that. So we wish her all the very best, and hopefully we'll chat with her soon when she, she gets into... Yeah, and she's, she's she early does. in her soccer oh, very, very. manager career, so it's, she's got a long time to get to that spot. I'm yeah. sure she will. Last little bit of Canadian-related news. On the, the club side this time, or CPL side in particular, or Vancouver Island to be even more particular, West Hills Stadium is no longer West Hills Stadium. It's now Starlight Stadium. Is it a sponsorship? Yeah. It's a Toronto-based company, Starlight. I didn't know that West Hills Stadium was named after a company as well. I thought West Hills was an area of Langford, but West Hills was the company that had sponsored the stadium before. So now it's the Starlight Group. Um, They've got a five-year deal to sponsor the stadium with two options of another couple of five-year deals afterwards. There's been like a few people upset by that. I don't get that at all. I don't care what a stadium's called. And some folk are like, why is it a Toronto-based thing? Who cares? Someone's prepared to put money into the the game here. It's like during a pandemic as well. It's not like they're going to move the uh, the club to Toronto or anything like that. <laughs> I quite like it as well, Starlight Stadium. I, I like my alliteration, SS. It's got a nice ring to it. And then you got the uh, mascot's name Stewie too, right? Yes, yeah, Stewie. And he's a starfish. Aha, uh-huh, another SS. Yeah. That's probably why, why Zach's such a big fan of the team. Yeah, hopefully we'll have some other CPL news soon. But let's hope there's a few stars lighting up the pitch this year in the CPL. It'd be nice if we can get some games on the island. If we can all get vaccinated, maybe we'll even get to be in one in person. 
that's pretty much it for the chat for the tonight's show. We're just going to round things off with this week's wavelength. Since we were talking about international football in this part, I've dug out the unofficial song for Scotland's 2021 Euro campaign. It's by a guy called Neil Grant, who writes a number of football songs. He's actually written a few about MLS teams. I'm going to be getting him on our Glory Days of Goldies 5 podcast. I'm going to try and badger him into writing a Vancouver Whitecaps one. It's an unofficial song, but it is sponsored by Tunnix, who make the tea cakes and caramel wafers. And there's a cheeky little caramel wafer that features in the video. This is Neil Grant with There's No Team Like Scotland. Grant there. There's no team like Scotland. Let's see if we can get him to do one for the Whitecaps, maybe even Canada as well. 
Quick question about the Europe Euros that are coming up. Is it officially classified as 2021 Euros? Or no, it's it... Euros 2020 is the official yeah. title still. Played in 2021. Yeah. To me, it'll be Euro 2021. I I don't hold sway with calling it Euro 2020. I'm looking forward to it. It should go ahead since European football is going ahead. Yeah, Devastated this week. East Fife's season has been suspended again. Because from their level down, the third tier in Scotland, down into non-league, it's all been suspended because they're not able to, to test players. The division above them, interestingly, wasn't testing players either. And then they made them test players if they were going to continue. And one of the, the teams on their first test found 13 players that had COVID. So they had to cancel their game on Saturday. Bunch of snowflakes. Yes. What can you see? Just before we go, we've rounded everything up with a nice little bow. Let's tell everyone where they can find you online, Stephen. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBee. Zachary. For me, it's at ZacharyAM. And for me, you can find me online looking at other snowflake designs. I just love a snowflake. I've, I've got them on my tree. I've actually got them on my window just now. Folk are going to think I'm a Montreal fan. Probably going to get a brick put through it. It's one of those little cling things. You can also find us on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. I was going to say that. I, I was wondering if they're going to change the bell instead of bell rings when they score. Just have snow come down like sting. Oh. Whenever they score. There will always be bell ends to me. Yeah. Michael, I was going to say the, the brick is going to be for your celebrations of Seattle, not if i get a free snowflake shirt out of it then what the hell actually talking of shirts if anybody has the current away jersey in an extra large or extra extra large that they want to get rid of cheap get in touch because my co-host on the east five podcast loves our current away strip and would love to get hold of a copy but does not want to pay the price that it's currently going for in the uk Are are you talking about vancouver yeah no, tell them to wait till next year and it'll be 50% off. So you just got to wait a year for that. Yeah, because it's the, it's the hoop one that's reduced just now, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, so they, they... are we getting a new home kit this year, actually? Well, I have a feeling they'll probably delay that because they're saying, I don't think they're. I don't to... think they will if they've been selling it off cheap. Yeah. Yeah, who knows what they're doing with all that? Yeah, uh, who knows? Yeah, they, they probably have some designs ready to go. It's probably like a typical Adidas design. Well, let's fingers crossed it's a snowball. Just so we can have a nice fight with Montreal. And on that note, let's wrap up the show. So until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. And more on the draft. Let's get someone good. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
Et...